This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. Well, guys, we're going to get started today into our fourth piece of a series that we're calling Game Plan. Game Plan. And if you would like to know kind of the, the real walkaway point of this message is the byline. If I can have our game plan graphic up, please. Uh, need a game plan graphic, everybody? There we go. Let's look here on this byline. Everybody read it out loud, the ones that are in yellow. Living for God in today's culture. The, the real walkaway point of the series is us looking into the word of the Lord and trying to pick up some secrets on how we can live successfully today the Christian life. Because if, if, if you're a Christian in this room, and, and most of you would be, if not, I trust that you'll choose to give your life to Christ. But living in today's culture as a Christian, it's, it, it is difficult. Because culture has a way of tightening the screws on your faith and, and, and challenging you in, in ways that would cause you to swing into two extremes. One would be, the to me, just a terrible mistake that Christians make, and that's to swing way over here to becoming a mean, dogmatic, judgmental, almost hateful type of Christian. And you build everything about your walk with God on the fact that you're right and everybody else is wrong. Well, God didn't call you to be right. He called you to be effective. And if you're not careful, you could be so right that you're wrong in your being right because of the way you respond to people. Well, I'm right and you're wrong. My way's the only way. Uh, turn to God or, or, or hell, you know, that kind of mentality. That just doesn't go over well. I don't think anybody likes that type of approach. But then there's the other extreme. It's way over here where you're, the, you're actually the antithesis of this extreme. Now you've become weak and you've compromised all of your biblical standards. And, and when the heat's turned up on you, you choose to actually go the other direction and you become quiet in your faith. And you choose to never share your faith. You choose to, 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 to kind of retreat and to be private. You know, my faith life is my private life. Isn't it funny in today's corporate world, um, you can celebrate if you're a Cowboys fan or a Seahawks fan. You just can't celebrate if you're a Jesus fan or not. Isn't that interesting? Uh, corporate world doesn't mind you having a, a Cowboys jersey on on Fridays leading into the weekend. But God forbid that you mention Jesus. Well, if you're not careful, you can retreat and become so quiet in your faith that you're not fulfilling the will of God. The will of God for you is to be salt and light. What do I mean by that? To make everything brighter by being the light of Jesus and by making everything better by being the salt of the, of the Christian faith and making everything better. Can I get an amen? So we want to have a balanced approach. Something right here in the middle where we love God and we love people. We love God so much that we're going to choose to respect everybody and, and love everybody and, and, and not try to prove ourselves right, but just prove ourselves effective. That, that we love God so much that we're able to love all people. Well, then the second week of this sermon series, we talked about 
some, some commitments. I will, I will exalt God at all times. I will acknowledge God in all things. I will humble myself and not, not allow God to have to humble me. I can tell you which one of those go, go, go over uh, better, allowing your, yourself to be humbled or God to humble you. I, I, I just want to choose a life of humility as often as I can. And then last Sunday, part three, we talked about fireproof faith. If you were here last Sunday, I hope you enjoyed it. I know I thoroughly did. And that is that I can have a faith in God that's so strong that no matter how hot the environment gets, Jesus is going to be right there in the middle with me. And I'm going to come out on the other side, not just better, but I'm going to come out on the other side promoted. My, my passing of the test is going to be a testimony that, that God elevates me because I survived the pressure of, of whatever furnace I've been thrown into. And now today, part four, I'm going to tell another story out of Daniel. Uh, we're going to go to Daniel 5. So if you want to take your Bibles to Daniel 5, we're going to be looking at this story. And my subtopic today is actually kind of the story in a nutshell. And that is, the writing is on the wall. The writing is on the wall. I'm a part of small groups here at Calvary Church. And one of my groups I'm in is on Thursday mornings. We have a group of businessmen and retired men and, and college-age men. On Thursday mornings, about 7.45 a.m., we all gather down at our place. And we have a quick breakfast. And we pray together. And at that breakfast, one of the waitresses that actually work uh, at the restaurant, but I meant to say that actually attends our church, rather. She's a waitress there. She came by and said, Pastor, I'm, I'm loving the series in Daniel. Is it by chance the book of Daniel that has that story in it about somebody writing on the wall? And I said, well, it's crazy time. And just come to church Sunday. And she was here in the 10 o'clock. And, and I hope that you gain something out of this retelling of Daniel chapter 5. And that is the writing is on the wall. Being that there's so many scriptures to the story, I'm going to be telling it. I'll allow you to read along if you choose to. The sermon notes are available for you in the app, Calvary, FTW. You can download the app and follow along. Or you can just choose to, to listen to me tell it. Here's how it starts out. There's been a change of leadership. Nebuchadnezzar, all the way until this Sunday, Nebuchadnezzar has been our king over Babylon. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is no longer the king now in Daniel 5. His son is now the king. And his son has a name that's similar to the name that we've talked about this month. The son's name is Belshazzar. Not to be confused, and it would be easy to do so, not to be confused with the name Belteshazzar. There's a little, cha there's a little difference there. Belshazzar and Belteshazzar. Well, Daniel, if you remember in week number one, Daniel was renamed to Belteshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer the king. The new king's his son, Belshazzar, and this is how the story goes. So Belshazzar was going to have a party. And this guy, when he said he was going to have a party, this dude threw the party down. I'm not making this up. It's not fabricated. It's right here in Scripture the message transliteration says the wine was flowing freely. So we've got some drinking going on at the palace. And Belshazzar is now completely lit. The dude is wasted. 
and he makes some choices that that's just it's just irrational. But if you're if you if you're here today, can I get an amen? That most of the time, drunk people do irrational things anyway. Can I get an amen? And and just real quick, I I, I just don't have to say it, but I'll throw it out there. Today's culture, it's so funny. Everybody wants to put preachers in a corner today. Well, what is your stance on, well, this is not a heaven or hell issue on drinking. But I will tell you, I'll stand flat-footed and look anybody in the eye and tell you, nothing really good happens when you're drunk. Nothing good happens when you're drunk. So it's not about heaven or hell. It's just about giving hell to your whole life. So be careful. And here's what happens. Belshazzar is drunk, and he makes a bad choice. And that is... He says, hey, you remember my dad, Nebuchadnezzar, whenever he took over the people of God? Not only did he take over the people of God and make them our slaves, he actually went into the temple and he stole all the things that were sacred. And I think that he stole some, and I'm kind of, kind of, kind of fabricating a little bit here. He stole some shot glasses, some wine glasses, some beer mugs. The Bible says chalices, but that's too fancy. We're, we're in Texas. So... I want you to bring all those shot glasses. I want you to bring the beer mugs. I want you to bring the wine glasses. I want you to bring all of those. Let's drink our alcohol out of the things that were stolen from the temple. Guys, how dangerous can this cat be? So Nebuchadnezzar steals things from the temple. But his son, Belshazzar, says, I'm going to be crazier than my dad We're going to take the things my dad stole from the temple and we're going to use them to drink out of. And sure enough, these guys get wasted and there's people laid out everywhere around the palace and all of the sacred items that were once items set aside for holy worship unto God are now items being being used as as wine glasses, etc. Well, they get so drunk that things get out of hand And God steps in. And the Bible says something very unique happened. The Lord allows for a human-like finger to come into the room. And I know this is wild, okay? But this is is right out of Daniel 5. And a human-like finger comes into the room. And he begins to write. The finger begins to write something on the wall. Well, old drunk Belshazzar is like, you've got to be kidding me. What in the world? That was my attempt to sound like a drunk man. you got to be kidding me. I thought that was so funny, and I guess it wasn't. You've got to be kidding me. I'll try to talk sober now. You've got to be kidding me. There's a finger writing on the wall. This is, this is whack. Somebody tell me. What is it writing? Well, nobody in the room knew, so Belshazzar calls for all the people in the Babylonian kingdom that, that kind of tinkered with, that kind of flirted with themselves being like fortune tellers or psychic readers. These people that kind of had an insight to the unknown. So, So Elder Bradley calls them all in the room. And one by one, he looks at him and says these words. Anybody that can tell me what that finger wrote on the wall, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promote you. I'm going to give you a purple robe. 
I'm going to give you more money than you'll ever spend. I'm going to give you some authority. You're going to be one of my right-hand men. And everybody in this kingdom is going to know that you're one of my special chosen leaders. All I need you to do is tell me what's written on that wall. And one by one, nobody could tell what was written on the wall. So Belshazzar gets scared. And the message says that he got so scared his knees were knocking together. He's panicking. Nobody in my kingdom knows what it means. And his wife comes in. And the queen says, Belshazzar, you're, you're freaking out over nothing. There's a man in your kingdom that will most definitely know what was written on that wall. Because I think it's got something to do with, with Jehovah God. And there's a man in your kingdom by the name of Daniel. And if you remember, Belshazzar, when your dad took over the kingdom of God, the people of God, rather, when, when your dad took over the people of God and brought them under his kingdom's rule, he chose four Hebrew boys. One was by the name of Daniel. And Daniel is as sharp as a razor. He is brilliant. And he has insight that only God gives him. If you were to ask him, I bet he could tell you. So Belshazzar calls in Daniel. Daniel comes into the room and he says, well, before I read to you what's on that wall, because I can already tell what it is, before I read to you what's on the wall, I need to talk to you for a moment. And Daniel starts looking around the room. Here's an old drunk dude laid out with a, with a vessel from the temple. Here's an old drunk gal laid out with a glass from the temple. And Daniel says, you are as vile as anyone's ever been towards the things of God. Not only did your dad steal these things from the temple of God, your dad ended up growing so arrogant that God allowed him to lose his mind and he was placed into the wilderness and lived like a wild animal. But you, Belshazzar, as his son, as a next generational leader in today's culture, You've taken it and you've taken it to another level. Not only did your dad steal these things, but now the things that your dad stole, you are defiling God by drinking your, your wine and partying with the very things that, meant, that were set aside to bring glory to God. Let me tell you what the message says. Your dad was arrogant, but you're even more so arrogant. To think that you would do this, that you would disrespect the things of God at this level. Well, Belshazzar's drunk, everybody. You can't, you can't reason with a drunk. So, so Belshazzar's like, okay, dude, whatever. Just, just tell me what's on the wall. So Daniel does. There's three words that the message transliteration uses. Some other translations, they use different words, but they're all, if you study enough commentary, they all have a common thread. Here's the first word, M-E-N-E. -E. The second word was T-E-Q-E-L. The third word was P-E-R-E-S. Mene, Tekel, Peres. Now we're going to break these three words down. But here's what you have to know. First of all, if there's a writing on the wall, typically that means it's a warning. Has anybody ever used the phrase, man, I saw the writing on the wall. You know, back in 2008 and 9, during the uh, economic crash of, of the United States of America tied to the real estate, 
markets and the banking industries when when people were getting you know you know they would have a, a $25,000 a year income and they were being given loans on three million dollar houses most people would say nowadays 20 uh, hindsight's 2020 most people now say well I saw the writing on the wall or if you ever have a vehicle pass you on the interstate doing about 120 miles per hour zip 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 and then about two miles later there's an accident you would say Man, I saw the writing on the wall. Or if you're, you're, you know, if you have friends or family members that are in marriage and all they do is scream at each other, all they do is fight with each other, all they do is badmouth each other, and then you get the phone call that somebody's in divorce court, you would say, well, the writing's on the wall. Daniel said to Belshazzar, there's a writing on the wall. And what it is is, God's warning you of something. Well, old drunk Belshazzar wants to know, what, what's he warning me about? Three words. We're going to learn from them today because God's warning us of the very same thing. God's trying to warn us of these three <clears throat> signs of, of, of warning. Are you ready? Let's dive into it. The first one is found in Daniel 5, verse 24 through 26. Primarily verse 26, M-E-N-E. God, speaking, to, uh, speaking out of the mouth of Daniel into the ears of Belshazzar, God has numbered the days of your rule and they don't add up. For all of you that like the notes in your app or if you like to handwrite notes, here's your first one. The writing on the wall is, your life is short. Your days are numbered. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. So how does this fit in the story of Belshazzar? Belshazzar, you're just, you're just a drinker. You're just an old drunk. You're just partying the night away like you have a guarantee that you're going to rule this kingdom for years to come. You're not concerned about anything you're not, you're not focused on anything. Your mind is not centered on anything of value or of worth. All you're doing is, is you're just going to party your life away. And I got news for you. There's a writing on the wall. Your days are numbered. And there's not many left. So for us, how do we, how do we learn from this? Culture... Today's culture is so clever to make us and our generation and that which is behind me, the millennial generation, I believe millennials are 36 and down if I've got my info correct. It makes us think that we've got all the time in the world. And the truth of the matter is we don't have a guarantee that Monday's coming. You're just one phone call away of of finding out that someone you love isn't coming home today. Now, now real quick, I know how we're feeling right now. You're like, man, normally you make me laugh and stuff, and now you get me all depressed. I just just wanted to come to church and go get some chicken wings and watch the Cowboys play, and now you got me all, I just want to go see my mama. Well, good, because that's really my job today. I really want to sober you up. I want to sober you up and myself up to the point to realize we don't have a guarantee that Monday's coming. 
All we have a guarantee of is right now. We do know that we have 12.22 p.m. on this particular Sunday to talk about what we don't know, and that is how many more days do we have. Here's why. If we have something in abundance, most of the time, we don't worry about wasting it. If we've got a lot of it, we normally don't worry about wasting it. If we don't have a lot of it, we normally really are concerned about wasting it. I'm, um, I, I love the outdoors. I love to hunt, love to fish, love to play golf. Uh, uh, those are kind of my, my three little, little, my wife would say addictions. I just call them pleasures. Um, fishing the other day with, with a good friend of mine that has an abundance of of baits in his boat because he's he's a sponsored fisherman. He gets just just an absolute ridiculous amount of stuff just gifted to him. And he's a he's not professional, but he's sponsored. And I grew up, if if I had a bag of plastic worms, man, that little worm I'd be using, it could be beat to smithereens and I would figure out ways to rehook it and cut the tail off and turn it around backwards and flip it over and I'd make that plastic worm last for a month and I'd just stretch it out. Next thing you know, I'd be, it'd, it'd be down to this big and I'd still be trying to use it because I knew that I had a limited amount. And fishing with him the other day, I, I, I caught a fish and he goes, take that worm off. I said, I've only caught one fish. He goes, that's enough. Here, use another one. And you could tell when you have an abundance of something, you don't have to manage it. Because you don't think you're ever going to run out of it. And here's what culture wants you to slide into. It wants you to slide into the, the, the mentality that you've got so much time. And that you've got so many days ahead of you. That it doesn't matter if you waste one or two. And I can tell you if you want to live for God in today's culture. The Christian needs to wake up to the fact we don't have a guarantee of anything. The only thing we have is what we know. And what we know is we woke up this morning by the goodness of God. God woke us up and started us on our way. And that means we have to max out. We've got to, here's a little country phrase. We've got to wring out the rag that we have. That we've got to get every drop out of this thing called life in the now. Somebody say amen. We're living in what my, my late friend, Mickey Harlow, that used to attend this church before his death. We're living in what's called the dash. You go to your local cemetery today and you're going to see a birth date and you're going to see a death date. And all that is in between is something called a dash. Some of those dashes were eight years. Some of them were 20. Some of them were 70 some of them could be really big dashes all the way up to 82 and 89 and 95. But all you have is a dash to work with. And culture says, don't worry about it. You'll, you'll get there. Don't worry about it. Just, just put it off another day. Just, just put it off. Well, what am I talking about? Put, put what off another day? Well, let's talk about things that are really critical. Let's start with something that all of us can relate with. And then we're going to make it spiritual. I'm looking at this 1130 service and most all of us in this 1130 because of the demographic that's represented. Most of the people in this room are either parents or grandparents of, and you're active in your parenting. Now listen to me everybody. This, this may not mean anything to you but there's a few dads in the room this is going to connect to you. 
This is what we do as dads. If we've got the remote and it's 7.30 at night and it's a school night and mama's trying to get the kids to bed and, and the kid says, hey, you're going to come tuck me in and the ball game's more important, so we just put it off. I'm going to tuck you in tomorrow, okay? I'm going to come tuck you in tomorrow night. Just let me finish this game. We don't even know if we're going to get another chance to tuck them in. Man, Pastor, you are just getting me so depressed. I want to go over to Calvary's kids and just get my kid out. Maybe you should because you don't know if they're, what, what's going to happen today. Now, if you're married in the room, you know, and it's your 10-year anniversary, well, I'm, I think I'm going to take her on a special date on my 11th anniversary. You're an idiot. You're not going to get an 11th if you don't do something nice on the 10th. And all the ladies say, preach, preacher. And all the men say, that's false doctrine, pastor. Here's what our culture says. Just put it off another day. Let's, let's make it spiritual. You ready for this? I'll worship the next song because I'll probably like that song more. I'll tithe when I get my next raise. I'll probably be in a position to tithe. I'll serve, I'll serve when the kids get out of elementary into high school. I'll serve when they're in high school. No, you won't. You'll, you'll be busier in high school than you are now. You'll always want to push off to tomorrow what needs to be done right now. And the writing on the wall to Belshazzar was, listen, you're, you're drinking your night away, which means you're drinking your life away. Here you are partying like you have, like you have no concerns about life. And little did you know that your days are numbered. Your life is not going to last nearly as long as you think, Belshazzar. And Daniel gave the interpretation. Second word, T-E-Q-E-L. Daniel says, let me continue reading to you, Belshazzar. There's another word on the wall that's a warning to you. It's Daniel 5 and verse 27. You have been weighed on the scales and you don't weigh much. Can somebody just receive that kind of blessing over your life in Jesus' name? <laughs> Some of y'all are going to catch that here in about, in about an hour when you're eating lunch. I just pray, pray, Lord, that scripture that Pastor preached about. I'm going to put myself on the scales and I'm not going to weigh much. I receive it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. It's not talking about that type of weighing. It's not your physical life that's weighing. What this is speaking of is that, that when you're weighed out, you're out of balance. The scale is out of balance. You've got, you're weighing heavy in the arrogance, low in the humility. You're weighing heavy in the ego. You're not, you're not weighing much in the humility. You're so out of balance, Belshazzar, that you're almost like an out of balance tire. You're, you're wobbling through life. Can I just preach to somebody today? Listen to me, somebody. The, the culture that we're living in, it wants you to stay out of balance. It wants you to be overworked. It wants you to be overstressed. The culture we're in wants you to be running on empty in every area of your life. It wants you to be, to be underappreciated and undervalued. It wants you to be abused and misused. 
The culture that we're in wants you to be out of whack to where you just wobble through life. You ever seen a car running down 35 with an out-of-balance tire? It doesn't sound healthy. It doesn't look healthy. It doesn't ride healthy. It's just wobble, 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 wobble. It's just not, something's not right. It's out of balance. And this is what culture wants to do in the family. It wants dad over here. It wants mom over here. It wants kids scattered here to where at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the average dad of a three-year-old spends three minutes a day in America. Something's out of balance. It's getting real quiet. I can hear the air condition running. It's so quiet. Something's out of balance. Culture's winning. Culture's saying, Dad, the family doesn't need you. It just needs your paycheck, so put another 10 hours of overtime this week. The culture's saying, kids, what's another sport? You're already playing five. Let's play six. Culture's saying, oh, what's another 10000 in credit card debt? You're able to make the minimal payment on the, on the 8000 that you're already in. Just, just, just accumulate a little bit more. And we get out of balance. Our time's out of balance. Our health's out of balance. Our family's out of balance. Our money's out of balance. And then when we come to the spiritual side of things, the, 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 the relationship with God in a church setting, we get out of balance. Oh, one Sunday, a quarter, that's good enough. You're out of balance. Everybody take a real big, deep breath. Now nudge your neighbor and say, I'm so glad he's preaching to you right now. I'm so glad he's preaching to you right now. In the 830 service, I got so tickled today. I got so tickled today. A man came up to me, and I didn't catch the humor at first. And it was so funny after it. After I caught it, a man in the 8.30 after the service was over and we were getting ready to start the 10 o'clock, he came up and said, boy, you really preached to those people today. And he just sat there smiling at me and I went, I preached to them, huh? And I didn't catch the sarcasm. I said, oh, I got it. And he said, bro, seriously, I got to go home and pray. (laughs) Every now and then you need a sermon that would just wake you up to the fact that there's some writing on the wall. And God tried to tell Belshazzar, and God's trying to tell you, you need to to get the best out of this moment that you have because you're not guaranteed another one. And you need to get yourself in in balance to where where you're operating on a smooth level, where, where you're efficient in all areas, where you're able to get up and go to work and go to bed at night, and you feel okay. You don't feel beaten down, that, that, that things are working well in your life and in your family and in your health and in your mind and in your finances and your kids and your marriage and your church and your relationship in the community. You want to get this, you know, imagine a real wrinkled up pair of pants. You want to get an old, a spiritual iron out. You want to iron some of that stuff out to where things are a little bit smoother. Let me tell you how it happens. It happens by point number three, and that's P-E-R-E-S, press. Daniel said, Belshazzar, not only are your days numbered 
And not only is your life out of balance, but your kingdom has been divided up and handed over to the Medes and Persians. What? My kingdom? Yeah. And here's the problem with it. You never saw the warning signs. Just for fun. And I am not trying to cause uh, marriage counseling for any of you. So I'm just trying to have fun with you. Is there anybody in the room that's ever driven... Uh, three days with your maintenance light on on your dash in your car and for three days you just left it on and kept driving your car for about three days anybody ever driven it for about three weeks anybody ever driven it for three months anybody is honest to say I have no idea how long it's been on it's been on since I bought the car check it out everybody there's a reason for the maintenance light and Belshazzar has his kingdom now divided down the middle. Now he's not worried about it because he's still drunk. He's still partying his life away. He thinks he's got all the time in the world to fix things. He thinks that all I need is just a few more years and I'll iron out the problems with the, with the political environment, with the economic crisis that Babylon is in. I, I just need some more time. So he's wasting his days. He chooses to drink, drink his nights away. And, and the, hand of the, the writing on the wall, Daniel said, you have really messed all this up because you chose to ignore the warning signs. Culture wants you and your family to be numb and blind to the warning signs that something's not right. Well, pastor, I just woke up one day and I realized we're $40,000 in credit card debt. No, you didn't just wake up one day and that happened. You were just numb all along the way, accumulating a debt load that will kill a family. Well, we just woke up one day and I realized I don't love her anymore. No, you didn't just wake up and just realize that. You were numb along the way whenever you drew further and further away from one another. You didn't see the warning signs. You kept driving while the maintenance light was flashing. You just, you just kept driving because the car was getting you to where you wanted to be, but it just, it just kept flashing so you didn't put any attention on it. Well, I just woke up one day and my kids don't even like me anymore. My kids won't. We, we just have a terrible relationship. And it just didn't happen, guys. Listen, I don't care what pop psychology and modern day culture tells you. The family does not implode in three hours. It's over time. And the ignoring of the, of, the, of the warning. And the blindness to the warning signs. Now preach this way because I love you. I don't preach this way out of any other motive other than the fact that I want you to get service. And I want you repaired. And I want you maintained. And I want you healthy. And the writing on the wall says, if you don't wake up to the fact that you don't have all the time you think you have. And if you don't wake up to the fact that there's some warnings that, that, that the preacher and, and that the wife and the husband and the kids and Maybe even your physical body. There's some warning signs that are trying to get your attention. You're going to maintain 
an out-of-balance lifestyle to the point that you're going to be stranded on the side of the road because an out-of-balance tire is not going to last too much longer. So what do we do from here? What is this story telling us? Is all, all you're going to do is take a whole Sunday and all you're going to do is point out the warning on the wall. No, no, you don't know me well enough then if you think all we're going to do is point this out. Because there's something to learn from this. Can I preach to you today? There's something to learn from it. Daniel 5, verses 29 through 31. And if our worship team can come help me close today, I'm going to give you time to respond to this message. Belshazzar, even though he was still drunk, he did what he promised. He promoted Daniel. He gave him a purple robe. He gave him a gold chain. He gave him money. He gave him authority. He promoted him. But everybody look at me real quick. Listen. The same night, verse 30, the same night the Babylonian king Belshazzar was murdered. Son, this brother's walking around in a drunken stupor at the palace. What's the writing on the wall mean? This is what it means. Well, I'm not worried about it. Went to his maker that night. So what can we learn from this tragic story of a drunken, entitled work of nepotism in the Babylonian Empire? This is what you can learn. Here's your walkaways. Number one, live your life, yours. This is no longer about Belshazzar. This is about you. And this is about me. Live your life with a purpose and with urgency. Don't go to bed tonight without making things right. With God, with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your loved ones, with yourself. Live your life with a purpose. Make it matter. I spoke this at my dad's funeral just a few weeks ago. Start living now for what you want me to say at your funeral. Or your funeral is going to be three minutes. And it's going to be full of destruction and pain. Belshazzar's funeral, the eulogy at his funeral. Well, Belshazzar got a kingdom that he didn't build. It was his daddy's. His daddy gave him everything. Belshazzar disrespected God. And he drank his wine and his party. And it, it all involved the disrespected things that belonged to God. Belshazzar was a fool. He wouldn't listen to the warnings that God tried to give him. Belshazzar was murdered the night of his drunken party that God tried to keep him from. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your time coming to Belshazzar's funeral. Now this is pretty strong, but can I tell you it doesn't have to be this way for us? 
because God's given us a story like this that we can take and use and apply and make it applicable to our own personal lives. Let's change the course of things that are not going in the direction we want them to go. God's grace is real and His mercy is true and you and I can take this thing called life and flip it to be the greatest thing that we could ever have. But it's got to be living on purpose and we got to live with urgency. Psalms 39, the Lord remind me, David said, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. Remind me that my life is fleeing away, that it's no longer than the width of my hand, that an entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is just but a breath. The words of David. Listen to me, everybody. Life is better when you live on purpose and in your purpose. Be intentional. Have a plan. Hey, if I were to put you in a corner and say, what's you and your family's plan? What's your plan? Uh, We're going to go to Cracker Barrel. How about we're going to own a Cracker Barrel? What's your plan? Or are you just waking up, taking life however it comes to you? Or are you waking up and going after what God's purpose is and the plan He has for you? Here's your second walk away. Put first things first. Belshazzar, he put everything that mattered not in front of that which mattered most. And I want you to take a pen and I want you to write this down or open up your sermon notes. This is worth remembering. Order determines capacity. Order, everybody say order, determines capacity. Now, if if this group up here, if we were all going to take us a road trip together and I said, everybody bring your bags, come over here to my, my vehicle, pop the trunk, Everybody, let's start loading our our, our bags into the trunk. If there was no order, it's very likely not everything's going to be fit into the trunk. And if there's any men or women in here that's ever loaded a trunk for a family road trip, you know where I'm going. you got to put the biggest in first and work around it. A lot of people are putting jobs before the biggest thing, which is God. You're You're putting careers before the biggest thing, which is God. You're putting, putting sports before the biggest thing, which is God. You're putting retirement plans before the biggest thing, which is God. You're putting even, they're good things. These are good things. They're, they're, they're bags worth bringing on the trip. But, but the Lord doesn't come before God. I don't come before God. This church doesn't come before God. There's people that put spouses before God. That, that's out of order. So if you're going to, whatever your capacity is, is going to be related to the fact, are you in order or out of order? Here's how Matthew 6, says in the New Living Translation. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. Order determines capacity. How much you can handle in life is related to the order in your life. And if you're in chaos and out of order, I promise you, you can't handle much more. You're out of balance. Thirdly, before we worship 
and respond. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 gives us our third and final walk away from this story of Belshazzar on his drunken party night. Their handwriting was on the wall. 2 Corinthians says, indeed, the right time. Everybody say, the right time. Now say this. Say, what's the right time? Now is the right time. Belshazzar had a moment of grace. There was a moment of grace. God gave him a warning on the wall, and he chose to ignore it. And that night he lost his life. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're wondering, at what point do I start living on purpose? At what point do I start living with urgency? At what point do I start putting first things first? Somebody shout now. When? Now. Now is the right time. Stand with me today. I've asked for this final song. And I'm gonna, I, want, I want to give you a moment to respond. If you feel the, the urgency of this sermon. And if you feel the, the pulling of God on your life. If you want to come as a family. If you want to come as an individual. I won't, take you, I won't keep you long. If you just want to respond. If you just need some time to digest this and respond in your way with God. I want those lights to come down just slightly and I want to give you a moment to respond. I'm about to pray upon the conclusion of my prayer. We're going to listen to this this worship time. And while the song is happening, I want you to come because I'm going to dismiss you by praying over you as a group in the altar, okay? So here we go, everybody. Open up your heart. Dear Lord, I've heard your word. I've gone as far as I can go. I've preached all I can preach. And Father God, I need you to do now what I can't do. I've done what I've been called to do but Lord only you only you can do the supernatural work in the heart there's men and women here today could be singles and individuals but Lord there's also family units that know they need to come back to what's most important they need to reprioritize their life their family they need to get a new plan they need to get a new intentional strategy about how things are going to go in their life they're not just going to let life come to them but they're going to go after it because of prayer and and understanding that you that you have a plan for them so father god right now i just pray a blessing over these that are responding to the writing on the wall as we learn from this story let us respond in jesus name Amen. This altar's open. Won't you come?